Welcome to Diverse Tech Founders, a podcast about the one thing older than capital, people like you and me. Now here's your host, Abraham J. Williamson. So welcome back to the Diverse Tech Founders podcast. We have another home edition here in the kitchen with a long time friend and somebody that I have the utmost respect for goes back to Howard days. Yep, it's been good. Howard days. It's been good year for Howard. So we have Brandon Harris, who's actually going to be wearing two hats, which is not unusual for this podcast. But Brandon is not only a startup founder, but also now a venture capitalist as well. So we're going to get some dual perspectives here. But I've said a little bit about Brandon and why he's here. But what I don't know is what you were like before you stepped onto the scene at Howard. So talk to us about childhood, Brandon Harris. You can take us all the way back to growing up in Memphis and all that, but who were you as a kid and would little Brandon be friends with the Brandon that we're listening to today? I think he would. I mean, I think that growing up into a lot of local political activities, right? So I was part of NAACP, Youth United Way. I had church. I was my mom's super religious, so we had like the church youth fellowship, but like I did a lot of, actually, it's funny. If I go all the way back, I think something that, that really shaped me was my experience early in the Black church because my mom made me get up and speak every Sunday. And that kind of trained me in my public speaking, which like kind of led to like the political organization piece, right? And it's interesting how those things develop you. And now I'm more in the, the business side of things, right? But I think it started off in like really kind of just caring about my community. And like you grow up in there in church and then you want to be involved. And as you get into high school, people are like, got to get your resume up, got to get into college. And like, for me, being president of organizations was like a great resume boost that like helped me actually get to Howard and like helped me find like different scholarships and things. But it's funny because I started a political tech company and I was actually in a customer meeting today. And I was like, what I learned in Memphis in local political activity is that you have to meet people where they are. And there's nothing like a one-to-one conversation, which is exactly what VOTUS is about, right? And so that's just, like I say, it does come full circle, like understanding that, like, and you're from, you're from Little Rock, you get it. It's about community. So, like, how you deal with people, how you work with people is important. And then, like I said, just being in those leadership positions, I think, kind of set me up for what ended up happening at Howard, which then, is like, it kind of manifested. But, yeah, I think... Caring about community, understanding the community that nourished me, like the Black Church, a lot of different civic organizations like United Way and NAACP, and that type of development was crucial for me. Awesome. And I'm from North Little Rock. There's a friendly rivalry. There. Oh, okay, I, just, okay. I, just, I just don't want the hometown folks <laughs> to jump on me about that, but that's all good. But speaking about meeting people where they are, you just go back to the church because I'm wondering if your mom was pushing you to speak because my mom did the same thing. Although when I got up there, she was quick to... <clears throat> clear a throat if I was going too fast. Was oh, she yeah. coaching you as well? Oh, man. The coaching is serious. And, like, my mom is a very expressive woman. So, like, the practices before church, like, we're going to enunciate our words. And we're going to, good morning, Mount Olive. That was, like, my church. So, like, that is, like, what I came up in. And so, definitely, like, if I spoke too fast, like, afterwards, she would be like, you spoke really fast and you need to, like, it was kind of a, a training thing, right? It's like every Sunday you're doing it. And by the time you start as a young kid, by the time you get to high school, pretty solid at it, actually. So, be yeah, definitely the coaching man, but we needed it. <laughs> Good. So, you mentioned starting early. Now, describe for us maybe your earliest experiences 
really grappling with investing and technology and innovation and all these exciting things that seem so commonplace today? What was that like for you in the earliest moments? Well, from an investing standpoint, I feel like that was born out of my experience as a founder, right? I think that once I got into being a tech owner, because I got into tech for political tech, because I was into politics and I was like, oh, technology has super benefits. But as I started building my company, I was like, technology is really the best tool to solve most of our problems, right? And so I was like, I would love to invest in other entrepreneurs, especially other Black entrepreneurs. And like, having gone through the rigors, still going through those rigors, but having gone through like the rigors of being a founder, you want to be a resource too, because, and you can speak to this, like, it's a full contact sport with no pads and emotionally, spiritually, mentally, it can really drain you, right? And so to be able to be a resource for certain founders and let them know it's going to be okay, that the sun will come out tomorrow and like to tell them how to, it's a process and to be able to share their process is like, I always kind of look forward to that once I really got into the startup world. That's super cool, man. That's super cool. So it started largely with your company. And people say that I moved too fast. We can just kind of jump right into who you are. But people want to know what you're building and who you're affiliated with. So first, let's start with Botus. What is Botus? And from where did this idea come from? You mentioned that it was sparked by politics. But when did you figure out that this is what you wanted to do? And just describe for us what Botus is. Yeah, so VOTUS is a SaaS communication platform that we help political organizations meet people where they are online and engage them in one-on-one conversations. It started really my first year of law school, which sounds like crazy why I should start a company your first year of law school, but it started my first year of law school. I just started reading about technology and I kind of realized this is what's going to change the world. I think look back in the 50s and the 60s, it was like the Thurgood Marshalls, the Charles Hamilton Houstons, like it was the legal battlefield was like the number one thing. And I realized when I got to law school, like this isn't the number one battlefield, but I can use this as a segue into technology similar to how you did. And so that's when it really started. And I was like, I know politics. I have a network in politics that can be my kind of entree into tech. And so it really started out as like a passion project, though. After that first year in law school, I really just did research, tried to build a team. And I was able to find like a co-founder from Howard who was a fan. And by the end of it, I found a CTO by the time I left law school. But I think for me, a lot of that, the inspiration came just out of like reading and kind of realizing I want to have a big impact on the world. And like technology is really where the impact is happening. And you think about it, that was 20 fall of 2012, where I really came up with the first idea. This is like no incorporation, just like first idea. And I was like, technology is going to have such an impact on politics. And look at, this is like before Cambridge Analytica, right? This is before all the disinformation. This is before Donald Trump became president off of Twitter, right? And so like, I think that intuition was spot on. And I think it got us in some interesting spots, but it was just about recognizing like, even though I'm not a software engineer, I still have a lot to bring to the tech space. And I think a lot of people should think about where do they have a domain and how can they use technology in it? So, okay. So what is the product? Like, who are the customers? If I come and I get affiliated with Votus, what am I getting in exchange for that relationship? Yeah. So we have about, I guess like 13 or 14, like subscribing SaaS customers right now. We partner with some communication agencies that represent like a hundred candidates at a time. So we work with candidates 
running for governor all the way down to running for state house. So that's really kind of like the scale of it. And to really, I guess, to steal the core thing of what we do is we help you identify your warm leads on social media. So a lot of people don't realize that there are people either based on their behavior with your account or their behavior with like other accounts or what they're posting. There are ways to identify what we call warm leads, like people that are not fake, that are active on the platform and have an affinity for you and or your mission. Right. And then what we do is we give you that list of warm leads and you can actually engage them in one to one conversation through our software for the end user. They think they're just having a conversation with you on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. But for the actual customer who's using Botus, they're using our software to facilitate all these conversations. And that was kind of the idea, right, is that you meet people where they are. Where is that? What does that mean? Where are people online? They're on Twitter. They're on Instagram. They're on Facebook. They're not on SMS. They're not on Zoom. Right. Like, and so that's kind of the thought is like, how do we meet them where they are? And there presents challenges because each of these platforms has different rules and API rates and limits that you have to deal with. But for us, like just kind of sticking hold to like where we come from and like being genuine about what made us who we are. And like I said, when I was a kid in Memphis and we were working on local campaigns and local issues, all those OG civil like organizers who have been there from the 60s and 70s, even though they were older then, they were always like, you got to meet people where you are and you got to engage in real conversations, right? And so we just try to help you do that on social media. So are you going to find me? Do you have to be a registered voter? If I'm listening to this right now, what are the chances that I'm going to end up in front of a politician as a warm lead? It's probably pretty hot, especially considering like how active you are. So like if you like somebody's post, you might think, think about this. Like how many politicians posts have you liked or commented, right? If you do it a couple of times, you're a warm lead. And like, why shouldn't they message you? And how would you feel that they actually genuinely message you? Like, hey, Abraham, we see you support our message. This, that, and the third. Would you like to be a volunteer? Because you donate $20, right? They're like different ass, but it's like, it's kind of, I think, one of the most organic ways to build those relationships because social media is like, it's a feedback loop. And a lot of people aren't using the feedback loop. It's broken for them because they're not actually taking the feedback and then acting on it. They're just letting it kind of just letting the engagement happen and happy to see a high number. But in that high number is probably about 100 to 150 warm leads, which are real people that you could turn into donors or volunteers. Right. And so that's it's like Twitter. There's statistics that show that most of your supporters, like a lot of your donors and volunteers will come from Twitter. Like people think Twitter's not real. Now, you aren't going to get the voter who's on the fence on Twitter. But you will get the voter who supports you and wants to wants to help you, especially these local campaigns. So, so it sounds like it works. One more question on this, because I think the product, especially in this space, is necessary to go down a little bit deeper. So if I'm a politician, is this going to cost me a lot? Is this a premium product? Is this a huge part of my campaign spend? Or is this something that I should be doing no matter which race I'm running for? Yeah, so... We really built this to be very scalable. And so we actually have a different, multiple kind of like different sets of tiers, but you can do what we like to call like a usage-based plan where you basically pay like a set amount per warm lead. So you can say, I want 2,000 warm leads and it's 10 cents a warm lead. And so it's $200 right there, but you have your 2,000. We're, we also have subscriptions. So if you want to say, I want to do $250 a month 
to get 5,000 warm leads a month and you can get that. Like obviously if you go order subscription, the cost per lead is lower, but if you want to do that one-time payment, you can. And for people that really have no money at all, we actually like will help them fundraise and just take a percentage of what they raise, which is like a great way to kind of onboard a lot of the initial customers. But luckily now we're, we're meeting a lot of customers who they want to engage. So they want to pay that subscription. So they're having those consistent warm leads, but there's so many campaigns that, desperately need to raise money, right? And this is a great way. I mean, on a low end, you're probably making about 15 cents per follower. Like if you message all your followers and when you do warm leads, it goes up, right? And so, and these are numbers that we've seen from candidates. And the more engagement you have, the higher it goes, right? And so the idea is using the warm leads as a way to kind of build yourself up and so you can keep going. So it's like you take a thousand warm leads, you make $150. You know what I mean? You take whatever, you're like, we're going to put this back in voters. Now you get 5,000 more warm leads. And what does that look like? And before that, you're built, you have money, you can pay for voters, and you have money even on top of that to invest in other operations. And you have this robust Twitter following that you can kind of activate at any time, right? And so that's kind of the, that's really the thought of it is just again, like making the pricing model flexible. But also scalable scalable for these large organizations as well. I love that and glad that I asked. It sounds like if you're running for anything right now, you should look into it. Although maybe not quite ready for Howard just yet or the college campus. Yeah, Yeah, we're not ready for uh, we're not ready for Howard. Yeah, just his background. Brandon was our student body president back at Howard when I was coming through. He was sort of the first big face I saw at Howard. (laughs) that, that, That was the inside joke there. But okay, so how did you? Break into venture. Put your other hat on now. We got a good sense of what Votus is and who you are as a founder. But how in the heck did you get linked up to venture capital having no connection to it other than founding this company your first year of law school? So it's, it's one, it was one of those weird situations where we got invested by a VC and we were at a retreat in San Francisco. And I met someone who was a partner at the VC I work at now. And they're trying to do, they're basically establishing an office in Memphis. And so I'm from Memphis and just, you never know who you're talking to late at night. I'll tell you, like, you never know who you're talking to. You never know why people are asking you questions because this dude was asking me all these questions. And I was like, why is he asking me all these questions? It's like 10 o'clock. I had a terrible travel day that day. So I could have came with like a serious attitude. And so I think for me, you never know who's watching. It was like, obviously you're a founder who just got invested in by, we got invested in by Higher Ground Labs. Shout out to HGL. So obviously you're which is the number one political tech fund in the country. So when you have those wins and you're in those spaces, just by the fact that you're there, they know you have to be legit because you wouldn't be if you wouldn't be here. This is not like it was in like Canyon Ranch. You know what I mean? Like it was nice, man. It was not like one of those spaces. So I think being in the right space, the right time and having the right energy and mindset you really don't know what opportunities are coming. And so I think, especially when you're in tech, because it is so insular, like VCs don't have traditional hiring paths because your management fees are 2% of what you raise. You might've been just closed fund one and you're going to start raising fund two. It's just, it's very fluid. So there's no way to have those linear kind of hiring practices. But what I learned was, like I said, man, keep your head on the swivel and keep the right energy. Stay humble, but not modest. Right. And like, just be open and just try to be the best that you can. Like I, we applied to Higher Ground Labs in 2019, got to like 
the third round, didn't make it and just kept working, had a great 2020. And in 2021, we did make it. And then I found this opportunity. So if you would have told me a year ago from today that I would be also in the venture world, I would have been like, bro, you got to be smoking something. Right. And so, like I said, I'm just really, really grateful for the opportunity. But I said, if you're listening to this right now, you never know where you are. Don't ever feel yourself too much and make sure you just come with the right energy because you never know who you're talking to. That's great advice. So what surprised you the most about being on the investment side versus being a founder? Like, how is your founder experience useful or relevant as an investor? Or how is being an investor help? Like, make that connection for us because oftentimes we view it as one or the other. Yeah. Well, the first thing I'll say is, A VC fund is just a startup that invests in other startups. So the the kind of pace or the the fluidity that comes with running a startup is very similar to a VC. You have much less stress, though, because, I mean, VC has much less stress. You got money, most likely, right? And the other piece is that you're looking at multiple companies a day, and each company is a shot for you to win, where if you're a founder, you are the shot. There is just one shot, right? So I think that's one piece. But I think one of the big things I noticed, and I do tell this to founders, is that you're not just competing against your market. Like people will think, oh, I'm a supply chain tech startup, so I'm just competing with my supply chain. No, you are competing with every company that is coming in front of those VC funders. Because even if, like, I could like your company, but you only have so many resources. And you're also like, like, you have no idea like you could say, I have ten thousand in revenue monthly, recurring. People be like, oh, that's great, but there could be somebody with eighty thousand revenue who hasn't who hasn't raised a seed round yet, right? Like there are so many different variables, so it's really important to just go hard and do the best you can and understand that if a VC does pass on you, like you can still be great. You don't know what's in front of that VC. You don't know what. Their kind of fun dynamics are, which is a big thing. Like sometimes it's just not a good time. Like a lot of times either you're not a good fit or maybe it's too expensive or it's just not a good time for the fun. But even if it is a good time, you're kind of competing against this larger array of companies. Right. And so you're something to think about. So that's how it's impacted you professionally. But how has being an investor impacted your personal and your family life? That's an interesting question. I mean, it caused me to move, but I mean, in a good way, I moved back home. That was good. Being around the family that way, I think it adds like, it's a little more stable. Like, yeah, being a fun, uh, being a founder is cool, but like when you're in VC, everybody wants to talk to the money, right? And so like, personally, it kind of opens up doors to just like network with different people, you're in all types of spaces because again, like it's like there's like private equity, right? Like there's growth equity, right? Like our friends in growth equity, like if the VC, like VCs often like we try to do some tech ecosystem building, right? So like being involved in entrepreneurship centers, just like mentoring entrepreneurs, like now entrepreneurs will just ask me, like, hey, can we talk? And like I can be very frank with them, especially like if you're early, like we're not about to invest in you, but like we can start having conversations and build those relationships. So I think that for me personally, which it kind of coincides with the professional, but I think personally, it's just opened up even more opportunities. It's allowed me to meet more people and kind of like expand my own brand, frankly, and kind of be like, also like for me personally, 
when I was a founder, and I'm still like all in on being a founder, right? But like, I would be like, I don't know what else I would be doing besides voters. I really had no idea. Like, it really was like a struggle for me to think about what I would be doing outside of voters. But this is a great segue for me because I get to keep doing the tech that I love and I really get to contribute back to the community. Super cool. So you mentioned that you met some teammates, some team members, if you will, back when you were in law school. So let's talk about co-founders. It's a topic that comes up in my goodness. There are so many issues around motivation, talent, fit, team. We're going to have a podcast where folks are talking about you need somebody who's good at sales and tech. If you got them together, that's great. But in your opinion, if you were designing your own co-founder, industry, agnostic, or wherever they are on the planet, but you need them to join your team, what is the one thing that you want that person to have that you can go to the finish line with? So I guess to answer that question truthfully, I would say you need to be what I call a playmaker. So like there are four, I mean, there are four essential skills you need, I think, to have a successful startup. You need sales, engineering, product management, and I'm going to assume marketing. <laughs> like I think I think I'm about to miss it. Yeah, marketing, product management, sales, and engineering. No, design, not marketing. Design. That's what I was missing. You need design. And so but if we're actually looking for what you need, because there are people that are good designers, or they might be an engineer, or they might be good at sales, but a playmaker is someone who can like see opportunity, make opportunity happen, can like pull the right people together, right? Who's not going to get deterred by a lot of no's, like who's going to be out at the bar, strike up a random conversation. This dude would be like, oh yeah, I work at this company that you're trying to make your number one enterprise client. Who's going to build that relationship and finesse that to get the deal done, right? Like who's going to actually like find the money, right? And I think that was like one of like probably the earlier conversations I had when I was a founder that made me feel really good and confident was like, we I basically erased some of our first money with voters. I found like a CTO and she was like, that's what people, most people can't do. Like people have good, in venture, I've noticed this, I noticed this at the start, but I've noticed it more in venture. You can have great degrees. You can, I mean, money helps, but like you can have great skills, but it's like, if you're not able to be like a playmaker and like go through the ups and downs and like stay focused and like really be like innovative, be resourceful, be agile, right? Like all those things are like, when I say being a playmaker, it's like, cause some people might say, I want to build this app and this app is what I want to build. But like, if they talk to customers, they will realize that if they just tweak their plan a little bit, they could make millions of dollars. But sometimes two people are so focused on their egos or what their plan was, they miss those opportunities, right? Or they're too insecure to like take the feedback. So I think that like for me and a founder, like you would need to have one of those four skills of like design, engineering, sales, or product management. But after that, I need you to be somebody who can identify and like create opportunities, right? Like you might have like, I'm amazed, even at Howard, right? Like, we have a huge network of folks, right? Like, I try to reach out, like, especially when I was, like, early as a founder, I was definitely trying to just leverage that as much as possible. And I know people who have similar networks, and they don't leverage that. And I'm like, you're not being a playmate. Like, that's the opportunity, bro. Like, that's what it is. This is what the game is. And so... That's just kind of like, you know, how I take it. It's like you have to be someone who can identify opportunities and you you really got to make magic. That's really what it, what it comes down to. 
make magic like that. So let's just go back to the church environment. So did you say, did you say Holly Grove? What was the name of your church? Mount Olive. Mount Olive. Okay, fair enough. Mount Olive. So my pops, and if you've been listening to me for a long time, my dad is, is a preacher, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love hearing the sermons and all that. Definitely go check them out. But there's a story that has to do with the sermon. There was a preacher one time who was going up there doing his thing or her thing, get, delivering the message to the people. And that message on that particular day is what they would do with a million dollars. And they went through all the things that they would do with a million dollars. And there was somebody in the audience who really vibed with what they were saying so much so that they wrote them a check for a million dollars. Oh, wow. So this question is directed toward you. Potentially somebody listening right now might do that for you. But if you were going to spend a million dollars right now in any way, what would you do? That's a tough question because, I mean, from a bonus standpoint, I know what I would do. I would just hire the best talent I could find. Because I think in, in an early stage tech company, talent is like the thing you need, right? Like we have like talent is the thing. But I think that if I had a million dollars, man, I'd probably just start another company. I would, again, find some really talented folks and be like, let's find a problem we're really passionate about. And like, I wouldn't rush it. But I think that like for me, what I like have fallen in love with is like, I love to build. And I love to build with like really competent, creative people, right? Because that's when like the magic happens. And so for me, yeah, that's what I'll say there. I just feel like if I had another million dollars, I would just go even harder at this journey, right? And like figure out, just take time to figure out what's the problem I want to take and then align the talent behind it. I like that. You keep talking about talent. So let's broaden that definition, not just to startups themselves, but to artists and in the entertainment right. world. So, because uh, there are a lot of similarities there, right? And how yeah. very a lot of artists came out of there, yeah, right? for sure. Which artists gets you in your flow? Which artist most inspires the work that you do? And if you're thinking about artists, generally speaking, when you're like, oh, I need to tap in, whose number are you calling to make sure that you're in the right headspace to perform at an optimal level? Man, my guilty pleasure right now is probably ESTG and 42 Doug. A lot of people probably think that, but it is. I mean, like, I'm from Memphis. From the, we're from the generation of hip hop, right? And I think that like, I've always thought there is a grittiness, there is a rawness to like trap and hip hop that like, if you can resonate with that, like there's something there. So like, I think that hits me. When I work, I listen to John Coltrane. So it's weird. Like if I'm like driving or I'm working out, I'm listening to like some hardcore. But when I'm actually working, I like to listen to like a lot of John Coltrane. You know what I mean? Sometimes I listen to like some Gil Scott Heron too. Like, Gil is really a prophet, you know, so Doug get me in more of, like, a socially active mind space. But, like, man, it's like, I try to take, when I listen to some trap music, bro, I'm like, can I take that mindset of them working through that desperation, like, by being resourceful, you know what I mean? Like, but in a legal way, like, doing it, like, and taking that same approach. And so, I would say that, like, I mean... I'm a fan of like I said the ESTG Forge Doug. I really like this new Pusher T. Like I actually listen like new music is good for me because it keeps it a little fresh. Like I like I definitely have the classics. You know what I mean? Like definitely the Jay Z's of the world. I listen to Dolph. 
listen to, I actually listen to rest in peace, listen to a lot of Dolph. You know what I mean? Like Dolph had a lot of message about ownership, about like coming up from nothing and what it's like. And when you're a startup founder and you have nothing, you kind of feel like you're in the trap. Okay. Like you either feel trapped or you feel like you're in the trap. Right. And so I think that for me, that's really like, like I said, I like to kind of resonate with the the music that comes from the culture I, I, I come from. Now, sometimes it can be a little too much, but I like it when it's like freestyle Drake. That's what I like. Not not Poppy Drake. Like Poppy Drake is cool, but like for the mindset of a founder, like Churchill Downs. Like that's the vibe you're going for there. That's the vibe you're going for. Wow, that was a whole lot of firsts, but we love it. And I think you're going to put some new people on to some, yeah. some music to get them yeah. in that flow. And I like the ode to Memphis because I love Memphis. I got a lot of ties and connections there. We're always put on for that, even though I'm from North Little Rock. Right now we're in Nashville and we hit the town a little bit. You saw a yep. little bit and it was evident to me and rightfully so. There's a little bit of intra-Tennessee rivalry going oh, yeah, on there. Sure. We had back and forth, but you got to put respect on Memphis's name and specifically in the startup tech ecosystem. What are you most excited about in Memphis and what's happening there? So I think one of the things that people don't realize about Memphis is that more commercial freight moves through the city of Memphis than any other city in the country. So we are literally like one of the top two, if not number one, supply chain hub in the country, the largest Nike factory in the country, in Memphis, FedEx, in Memphis, right? And so and supply chain is huge. We saw what happened in 2020 with the supply chain. Like we see what's happening right now with inflation, right? The supply chain is the economy. And so I think that we can use that and, and what's happening now in the supply chain space is they're taking up. So there are a whole bunch of new tech companies in supply chain because we realized in 2020 that we didn't have the adequate resources and technical infrastructure to meet really any different changes. And as climate change happens, that's also going to put stress on the supply chain, right? You should have more natural disasters, more issues like that you can't really predict. And so I think that really branding Memphis is not just a supply chain hub, but also a supply chain tech hub. And like, helping the entrepreneurs in Memphis get involved in that. It's a great way to also bring startups there because there's so many supply chain companies connected to Memphis or large companies whose supply chain depends on Memphis. If your startup is a supply chain tech company, you probably need to come to Memphis if you're listening to me because we can probably help you get some early uh, some early product market fit. So come down to Memphis. <laughs> I love that. I would highly recommend. There's a lot of good stuff happening in Memphis Fortunately, you are not the first founder from Memphis to come up to the podcast. A lot Beautiful. of great stuff happening in that city. But if you had to move or if you have to leave or if there's another calling outside of the 901, where would you go other than Silicon Valley in terms of ecosystems right now? That's tough, right? I think I want to go somewhere with real community. I mean, Nashville is interesting. Nashville is not necessarily... Definitely got that intra-Tennessee rivalry, but I'll give Nashville their credit here. Like, the city's blown up. I mean, just driving through the city since I've been here the last couple of days, I'm just reminded of what real growth looks like. And I think what other cities, particularly cities like Memphis, can look to. But other cities, like I said, Nashville's on that list. I really like a place like Austin. I think Austin's really interesting. I think Charlotte is also very interesting, right? And so, like, 
I really like those kind of Southeast cities because I'm from the Southeast and I think that we've been kind of shut out from a lot of those opportunities. So I really like Southeast cities that are not too, like not Atlanta. Like Atlanta's huge. No knock on Atlanta, but Atlanta's going to be fine, right? You got Miami. Miami's going to be fine. Miami's kind of new on the scene, but Miami's going to be fine. But I think in Austin probably would be fine too. I probably actually might opt to go to Houston before Austin, because I feel like Austin is kind of pretty well formed. I do love Austin, though. Like, the city of Austin is, like, amazing. So I think Austin, Charlotte, and then, like, I moved from D.C. back to Memphis, but D.C. is always going to be a little bit of, it's going to be home. But I think that, like, a Charlotte, I mean, my three would probably be, like, Charlotte, Houston, or Nashville. I love it. And being in Nashville, I'm glad that we made it on through <laughs> some kind of way. Do you want to be a billionaire? Well, specifically, do you want to run a billion dollar company. Why or why not? And everyone, for the most part, who's come on the podcast has answered this question in their own way. So don't feel like you have to hide anything about your ambition here. But do you want to run a billion dollar company? Why or why not? I'm, I would rather sell a billion dollar company. <laughs> like, I think that like running a billion dollar company is fun, but I would rather almost have like a billion dollar fund. Right. Because I think the fun life gives you an opportunity to, like, I can touch all different technologies and I can really help what I think a lot of talented people are, like, solve problems. And that's, like, where I see my life going. I think that, to me, like, the most exciting parts of, like, the entrepreneurial journey is really that, like, pre-seed to, like, series A. Like, if you can make it through that, that's magic, right? And so I think that's, like, what I would like to focus on. And, I mean, running a billion-dollar company, like, like, voters could be a billion-dollar company, but then it's, like, that's like 10. It's just like, do I want that or do I want to like continue to explore other technologies? Because Votus was like my first love. It's my baby. It's my first kind of entree into tech. But I think that like I'm interested, I'm interested in supply chain tech. I'm interested in climate tech. I think climate tech and supply chain tech are actually, you can't, like, I think all supply chain tech moving forward should be climate tech, right? Like it should be built to withstand or help the climate we're in today, right? So, like, those are really like fascinating problems that I would love to, like, work to solve those problems as well. So, I think more like a billion-dollar fund, you know, maybe build voters like a non-food company, maybe not not quite 10, but I'd be cool with nine. <laughs> but I think that's kind of like, yeah, that would be my, my answer there. I like that. And I want to be cognizant of the time here. We just got a little bit left yeah. because you got to go see your godfather. Yeah, my godfather. Yeah, yeah. you got to go see the family. That's important. This is the last, but really like the second to last, the penultimate question. Uh, you might have answered this already, but just leave us with this for the recency effect. What is the most valuable thing that you do for your clients at Botus? We help them identify opportunities they didn't know existed. Right? Like that's like, I think the part about it is that you got donors you don't know exist. And you don't even have to really do anything. Like, you really just have to give us a message and we'll send it out, right? Like, we've had a client raise $21,000, in three weeks. And she wasn't doing nothing besides having, like, a robust Twitter following, right? And so, like, that's, like, in three weeks, you know what I mean? And she was having trouble fundraising before this happened. And so, like... I think the main thing is that you don't know what you don't know. And bonus helps you uncover those opportunities. And a lot of time, there's a high ROI behind those opportunities. Love that. And that is super valuable. So I did mention there was one more question, mm-hmm. but 
That question hopefully is a very simple one. If you've been listening to this podcast right now, you really like what Brandon has said and you love his mission and what he does. The fact that he's wearing all these different hats. He's all about Memphis for the community, putting it back selflessly. How can people get in touch with you? If I want to get a response from Brandon, let's say in 24 hours today, how should I go about reaching out to you? You probably can find me either on LinkedIn, just look up Brandon Harris and Votus, I'll come up. You also can just email me at Brandon and Votus, and it's V-O-T-U-S dot com. On Twitter, bharris51. So you can also, I'm active on Twitter, so please follow me on Twitter. I'll also bharris51 on Instagram. So you can hit me up on LinkedIn, Instagram, or Twitter. And like I said, definitely email me. I'm always checking my email, unfortunately. So I'll definitely see it. But yeah, those are great ways. And like always interested to talk to anybody who's trying to build something, anybody who's interested in either these tech regions or interested in like the spaces we talked about, we'd love to have a conversation. I love that. Well, it has been so cool catching up with you in this way. I know we've been talking a little bit while you've been here in Nashville visiting, doing your thing. But to think back, to those early days at Howard and where you are now, man, it is truly inspiring. And I love the fact that we were able to have this conversation in my humble abode right here. Oh, it's uh, nice, man. But we'll it's appreciate nice. that. But we'll leave you with the last word for us. I just, anybody who's listening to this who's trying to like build something, man, just good luck to you. Stay with it and don't quit. And I, the one nugget I'll leave you, I have, I have learned this working in the venture space and I kind of knew it through founders, but I think the number one thing you could have besides being a playmaker, especially as a founder, is clarity of vision. Because if you have a clarity around what your vision is and what you're building and you can communicate that with clarity, I promise you so much will fall just like fall in place. But you need to have a clarity and it takes work. It takes progress. But like get crystal clear on what you're building and why. And then it'll be easy to tell the story. I knew there was a nugget in there somewhere. Thank you for not leaving us hungry. Like I said, it has been great catching up with you. Please like and share and review and all that good stuff this episode if you like what Brandon had to say. And with that, we will see you next time. Thank you for joining this week's episode of Diverse Tech Founders Podcast. I'm Abraham J. Williamson, and we had yet another great guest to pop in. And if you enjoyed today's podcast recording, please give us a rating. You can do it right now on iTunes or Spotify or whatever medium of choice that you have. But thank you for joining and we'll see you next week.